Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Sadam. We've had some pretty good feedback the last few days, thanks to all of you who have subscribed, and a special shout-out to Susan, who called this podcast a breath of fresh air. That made me feel really good, and I love the fact that we're building our community. It's a little slow going, and the community's still small, but I know it'll be worth it in the long run. So it doesn't matter if you're focused on leadership, safety, or communication, as long as you believe in human behavior— This podcast seems to be reaching people in different professions, and I love that. I'm learning a lot and having a great time trying to make the podcast better with each episode while finding topics that will give value to everyone listening. So please, continue to subscribe, review, and share the podcast. I hear that really helps. Thanks a lot. Okay, so let's jump right into this episode. A couple of days ago, November 10th to be exact, the Marine Corps celebrated its birthday, and it has reached the ripe old age of 242. In this episode, we're going to pay homage to the Marine Corps by looking at how a group of high school kids can be turned into one of the most effective fighting forces in the world. We're going to look at how a group of volunteers are willing to be the first to fight. And why, even after leaving the Marine Corps, there is still a connection between generations of Marines. Millennials can relate to baby boomers. And that's a huge deal. That is something that we can use across all of our organizations. And the reason it works is because they were all Marines. So these lessons can help us. They can help us in safety, in leadership, in communication. They can help us when dealing with culture, when trying to institute a culture where people are better off looking out for each other, when they're better off understanding each other, and when they're better off protecting each other. When trying to deal with workforces consisting of multiple generations, we need some tools to be able to solidify the identity all of those different generations use to make decisions. And when establishing such a long-term commitment to a team organization, these tools that we're going to talk about can help. In any organization, we can see problems when there are people that decide they will attack others in the organization. We see selfishness. We see bullying. And we see that sort of behavior begin to grow in the people that are around it. It's like a cancer. And it's even worse and spreads faster when it comes from senior level personnel. So the more that type of behavior continues, the less time people spend focusing outward on the work they should be doing, such as on the customer or on the project they're supposed to be working on. Instead, people begin to fragment within the organization. And you begin to see groups competing with each other inside the organization as opposed to focusing their attention and their energy outside. We even see personal attacks and people actively trying to hurt others in their organizations. It's unhealthy and quite frankly, it is very sad. Think about some of the organizations you work with or that you have worked in where things like this has happened. I have a feeling that if it hasn't happened to you or if you haven't seen it yourself, you know somebody that works in an organization like this. And it's not healthy. It's not good for the organization. It's not good for society. It's not good for people. So think of some of those failures you've seen. And I bet you've seen fragmentation across that organization. You've seen groups siloed. You've seen groups within the organization fighting each other. Show me some of the most successful organizations and you'll see people galvanized behind a common cause and with a common goal. There may be multiple groups within the organization. They may have different responsibilities, but they are all working toward the same vision. And that becomes a very powerful way to ensure that the entire organization is moving in one direction and not fighting each other. I'm sure many of you, like me, have heard the great stories about Ritz-Carlton's customer service. So let's listen to a couple of small clips about Ritz-Carlton. 
times have changed in business to where it's, not, it's no longer about an employee coming to work and performing just a task, which is necessary, but it's the idea of discretionary effort. If that employee is engaged in the organization and they understand the workings of, of the organization, they make better decisions as to how they will serve that, that customer. It's not just enough to have a great culture, that's part of the equation, but you also must have the systems behind the smiles that your employees can rely upon to deliver that outstanding service. Now we just listened to two management level personnel from North Carlton talking about how their culture and how their leadership plays a part in the customer service experience at Ritz Carlton. But now let's listen to a housekeeping supervisor and what she thinks about her job at the Ritz Carlton. Makes me so happy when a guest says their room is perfect. Seeing a smile on a guest's face makes me very happy. When I walk into a guest room, I look for a little clue to help me serve them better. When I walk into a room for the first time, I think to myself, this is my home. People on my team at the Ritz Carlton Hong Kong are like my family. So we work together to create the memorable experience for our guests. In those clips, we heard how the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company communicates a common goal to everyone in the company. It's about empowerment of the employees at all levels. As a result of sharing that common goal, supporting that common goal, and empowering the employees to reach that goal, Harmony ends up growing within the organization. For example, in some of the organizations with the best customer relations, you see everyone from the CEO to customer service specialist to janitors empowered and confident in making decisions to give the customer the best experience possible. From what we've learned, this means that in-group dynamic can help any organization. Now, we just discussed how strong the identity at a Ritz-Carlton hotel is for an employee how it permeates across all the different hotels in the company. That identity, the ability to share that identity as a, and this is their quote, ladies and gentlemen of Ritz-Carlton, those are their employees, all of them. And so that identity that surrounds everything they do, it doesn't matter if they're management, it doesn't matter if they're line personnel, it doesn't matter in what part of the world they live or in which country their hotel is at. That identity drives how they do business across the board. Remove that person from that organization where the customer service identity is not as important and they will behave differently. So now let's switch to the Marine Corps. Let's look at the United States Marine Corps and see how they use identity in in-group relationships to build one of the greatest fighting forces the world has ever seen. What you're going to see are three main takeaways, and you'll be able to apply this to the Ritz-Carlton example and to the Marine Corps. Two totally different organizations with different missions, different goals, obviously. But here are the three takeaways. The first one is building an identity for people to adopt can bring them together. The second one is behavior is driven by what people feel is the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is driven by the identity that's important to them at the time. And the third takeaway is identity is powerful enough to drive other identities and roles aside. This can be extremely beneficial when trying to integrate a workforce made up of diverse groups of people. This includes generational divides, regions where people grew up, how they were brought up in their homes, their education levels. That is how important and how powerful identity can be. 
So let's look at how we build an identity that people can adopt, which can guide their behavior and their thoughts. The Marine Corps does this to recruits during boot camp. Now, they have about three months to turn a kid who may have just graduated high school, may have maybe had a part-time job, may never have fired a weapon, but they turn this person into a member of a fighting force that works together, communicates with each other, and accomplishes missions. In order to develop new identities that people can internalize, we need to start with an understanding of what recruits are like on the day before and the day of reporting in for the very first time. Some new recruits bring luggage with them. Maybe a cell phone, maybe some extra clothes, maybe a little bit of underwear. All of this is taken from them as they are issued everything they need, including new underwear. In addition to luggage, they bring baggage with them. This baggage is internal, how they grew up, who they hung around with, where they lived. A tremendous amount of baggage is attached to the identities they hold within them. Homesick kids who identify with a close-knit or protective family, kids with chips on their shoulders because they may have grown up dealing with problems their whole lives, kids that may not have had a lot of friends, kids that may have been popular and played sports in school. All of a sudden, all of these different people are now brought together. They're stripped of everything, and they, they're starting new with each other. All of the roles that they played prior to joining the Marine Corps, all of these identities are built inside of them, and they come with them. So it's much easier for the Marine Corps to actually take every possession they brought with them. It's a lot tougher for the Marine Corps to strip them of this baggage of identity, but it gets done. In the world of social identity, there is a process we can think of when trying to instill a new identity to change behavior. This can happen within our organizations or our teams or our families. It's something that we can relate to the Marine Corps, but use similar concepts in our own lives. The first thing is we need to realize that the reality people live with is rooted in the identities present within them. These identities provide them with social reality, and this means they use those identities to make sense of their world and make decisions. So for more information on that, please go back to episode one. I talk all about identity. Next, now that we understand that identities exist within people, we need to have a process to establish a new identity, and this new identity will take hold and give people the tools they need to make decisions in their new world. And this is a three-step process. The first step, this is where the distinct roles people have adopted in their life, such as being a son or daughter, being the popular kid, being the athlete, being street smart, being a loner, all of these different roles that may be existing in people need to be downplayed. So step one is to downplay those existing identities that are within people. This means each individual is treated as that an individual. The identities within them are not recognized. And if you look at the Marine Corps boot camp, you can see that this happens almost immediately when they report to boot camp. And you are trying to take the first step to become a member of the world's finest fighting force, the United States Marine Corps. You used to be steady. I position your attention. That means your heels are touching. Feet at a 45 degree angle and your mouth is shut. I say again, your mouth is shut. Yes, sir. If your shirt is untucked, you're gonna tuck it in your pants. If your buns are unbuttoned, you're gonna button your buns all the way to the top. If your sleeves are rolled all the way up, you're gonna unroll them and you're gonna cuff them out the cuff. Scream my shirt. You need to break down these um, individualities that they come with um, of self and me and I. We need to break them down to basically nothing so we can build them back up, not as one, but as one team, one element um, to, to join our Marine Corps. It's not my Marine Corps, it's not his Marine Corps, it's our Marine Corps. So, as you can see in that first step, 
it's important that those distinct roles are downplayed and that this first step includes just treating them as individuals, individual without reference to any of those past existing roles and identities that are embedded with inside them. Then it goes to step two. And in the second step, those distinct social categories they brought with them are continuing to be downplayed, if not outright ignored. Now, we can see that this might be easier in the military, right? It's a lot easier to treat somebody as an individual, perhaps in the Marine Corps or any other military boot camp than it is in our own organizations. But we can learn a lesson from this. So in your organization, what kind of groups can we downplay? What kind of identities can we downplay to get people moving toward a superordinate identity? Something that moves the organization further down the road that we want to get it. For example, can we downplay roles such as rank and file versus supervision, supervision versus management, executives versus rank and file? I mean, can we downplay some of these identities that create silos in our organizations? If we can do some of these things, we can start building this greater identity that helps people make decisions more toward the good of the organization or good of the team as opposed to good of that particular in-group identity. They're starting to look at the organization or the group as a as a broader base and not this lower level identity that may keep people from working well together. Once you get an identity and establish this identity that encompasses everyone, you can see that people start to behave more as a group. It doesn't matter if somebody was the valedictorian and the other one took the high school equivalency exam. They're standing next to each other. They're part of the same team. What matters in the Marine Corps is that they are all recruits and they need each other to succeed. So after step two, after continuing to downplay these individual roles and building this greater identity that everyone can follow, that everyone can adopt and can use to make decisions, the next thing and the final step is that people can start bringing some of themselves back into play. Now, the goal is not to have a bunch of robots with the same programming, right? You don't want just a single identity. You still want that diversity in the workplace. You want the diversity on your team. You want people with different skill sets. You need workers at the field level. You need supervisors. You need management. You need executives. You need all these people filling those roles, right? You are not looking for robots with the same program. So our goal is to have people that can relate effectively at home and in society But when the appropriate identity needs to be salient for them to make decisions, we need that superordinate identity to take control. Meaning this third step is after you've built this greater identity, people are now able to start being more themselves. But when the time comes, when they have to work together, for example, the customer service in Ritz-Carlton, there needs to be people that clean the room. There needs to be people that make the meals. There needs to be people that do accounting. There needs to be people that act as concierge. All those roles need to exist. But when the time comes for the ultimate role of customer service provision and filling the role of that identity, those things need to take over. So now let's go back to the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps, they need a bunch of skill sets to get the job of the Marines done. But when they are standing shoulder to shoulder and the time comes to fight, they stand shoulder to shoulder as Marines. The greater identity of being a Marine takes over and they use that identity to make decisions and control their behavior. Other identities such as their focused role, those things can play in. However, it's the overarching category of Marine that drives them all toward a common goal. 
So let's put this into context using safety in our organizations. We need to be able to use this when trying to affect something as complex and unlinear as safety. And it can also apply to things like leadership and communication, things that are much more complex than some linear relationship. For example, we may want workers to work, of course, right? That's how we get things done. And we want supervisors to supervise those workers. And we want managers to, to play their role in the management of the organization. But we want everyone to strive towards safe behavior in a way that accepts all of those different roles. A worker should be thinking much differently about safety than a manager because that, that overarching goal of safe behavior in a way that accepts risk to get the job done, that moves people toward a common goal, toward a common outlook, but still accepts all the different roles they have to play. And that's what is so important about these three steps. So as a reminder, that first step is downplaying the individual roles that people have within them. That means treating each person as an individual. And then shortly thereafter comes step two. And that's where you're still downplaying those distinct identities that are brought with them into the group. But you start building this greater identity that encompasses more people, that encompasses that, that total group. That it doesn't matter if they're a worker or a supervisor, they see this greater identity and have this, this better idea of the role they have to play in that larger organization, in the context of the larger organizational goals. And then that final third step is that people will start bringing those other identities that you have downplayed back into the mix. And that's a good thing because workers and supervisors and managers have different roles to play. And we want them bringing those skill sets they have. We want them having their personality at work. Remember, we're not looking for robots here. But that final step in creating the superordinate identity that helps the organization move forward or the group move forward, this process uh, allows us to see that people are now able to use all these differences and the diversity that makes us so great. They're able to use these things toward that common vision and toward that common goal that this greater identity encompasses. So after this third step is where you see a whole lot of really good and, and powerful relationships develop because people are using all of the identities they've grown up with and you're you're able to use diversity as a strength toward your common goals because you've created this this common identity that no matter where people are from or, or how people talk or how they grew up they're able to use for the common good today we talked a lot about identity and the important thing was we went through three steps on how to actually use identity to change behavior. And we did it by looking at two totally separate organizations, the Ritz-Carlton and the United States Marine Corps. But you can see in both of those organizations that this process exists and that it works and that it transcends a lot of things that separate us today from generational boundaries to where we grew up to where we went to school to our education level. These processes help us develop a group of people that can work toward a common goal. So thank you for listening. Uh, this was the fifth episode in the Crucial Talks podcast. Uh, again, please share the podcast, review it, uh, give it a good rating, and let your friends know about it. I really want to grow this community of practitioners. And again, you can contact me at any time by visiting my website at CrucialTalks.com or contact me via email, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all of the above. I learn so much from other people and believe that our relationships can help us all succeed. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. 
And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.